Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ross Barnett Show. This week's episode is part two of interview that we conducted with the legendary DJ Crust from Full Cycle and Represent, straight out of Bristol, one of the most iconic Bristolians ever. Enjoy part two, guys. Peace. Ici Buddy Ross Barnett Show. J'adore le show de Ross Barnett. Mi piace le show de Ross Barnett. M'encanta le show de Ross Barnett. I love the Ross Barnett Show. What, what what kind of music are you listening to? Now? Do you listen to anything, yeah. any of the new stuff now? Or Yeah, I listen to a lot of rock music, a lot of pop, a lot of experimental music, classical, um, uh, a lot of spoken word, a lot of instrumental, film music. I love film music, sound scores, Hans Zimmer, John, John Williams, John Barry, you know, a lot of the classics. I love classical music. I love the arrangement. You know... For me, it's, I love film. Okay. So when I'm making music, I'm thinking about films. I'm not thinking about making music for film, but I'm, I want my music to feel like it's, you're watching a film, yeah. to have that impact, to have that experience. So I want, you know, when you watch a film and you get to the end and there's that twist, you go, oh, I didn't see that coming. Excuse me. For me, that's what a film's about. We don't have that much in music. In, in, it's, it's a, not a good thing to say, but one of the things in, in jungle na- or drum and bass now, they're calling it cut and paste because it's so generic. Is it's, that the programming technique, yeah? Yeah, okay. you just cut and paste. There's, there's no, not much thought going into it where when you see a really great film and you don't know what's going to happen from one scene to the next, we love that. Because yeah. when we come out of that feeling fulfilled, when you don't get that, when you watch a film and you know exactly what's going to happen next, and oh, the character's going to say that, oh, she's going to do... That's yeah. not fulfilling. Yeah. It's the same thing with music. So for me, when I'm making a track, I want it to be like that. I don't want you to know what's going to happen next. I want it to have that type of excitement. So for me, I want, I want my music to, to have the same aesthetics as a movie, to, to, to feel like it's, a, it's the first time you've heard anything like it. Yeah, you know, and, that, and that's what's driving me. So, I not only do I watch a lot of films and listen to lots of film music and listen to other genres, I'm fascinated by creativity and you know creative people, creative businesses, ideas where people are really pushing the boundaries. You know, visionaries. You know, Buckminster Fuller, Steve Jobs. You know, uh, Marcus Garvey. People who weren't afraid to break the mold. People who had vision way above their time you know and i love reading the stories and i love applying the 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 whole idea behind it and and i think that that is exciting in in the sense that if we're always pushing you know and for me it's not about trying to fit in you know i'm not i'm not interested in making a track that everyone's going to like that's not really the goal for me you know, I don't care if no one gets it now or if everyone even gets it. You know, I know I've got something when I play it and everyone stops dancing. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. me, that's a sign I've got something. And so I don't purposely do that, but I know if you know, yeah, you've gone too far now. Yeah. There's <laughs> a it's a good indication that you're in the right tracks. And so I look for that and I look I listen I look for when I go out playing or 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 I'm out there, I'm looking for things that are, you know, uh, at the forefront or, or I call it like bleeding edge you know right. early adopters things that are just out there that are pushing the boundaries and it could be in any genre it could be in any industry it can be any walk of life I'm looking for something on the cutting edge that's really creative really interesting you know I'm like well, what are these guys thinking what's going on in that culture okay. what's, what are those group of people doing and what can I glean from that and, yeah. and bring to my uh, community okay so going back so we were talking about represent how that came together. So you talked about um, you got yourselves into a space where you're doing tons and tons of remixes. Um, okay, so so what then was the catalyst, or was that the catalyst for you to say actually let's get together and you form this this represent collective? How so, did that happen? So basically, Paul Martin and Giles Peterson got us to do a couple of remixes. Yeah, we just started talking. Yeah. Um, we were 
just talking, talking, talking. Simon comes to us one day and says, those guys want to offer you a deal. Yeah. They want to sign both of you in separately. And we're like, wow, like, what is that? You know, what, what does that involve? And they're like, well, they explain the whole st stuff, what it actually involves. And Ronnie's like, I want to create this, this project. Yeah. This thing, and, you know, we're going to do this, like, this band, right? And we're going to play jungle music live. Word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And we're like, all right, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, you know, so we had four core members already, right? We had Dynamite as well. Yeah. We bucked up with Dynamite in this Raven Stroud. And this is Ronnie's foresight. I didn't see it at all. You know, this is a guy, he's just emceeing. He's like, yeah, Ronnie's like, I've got to get this guy. You know what I mean? So he tracks him down and same thing, dreads. Yeah. In this room. <laughs> Listen, there's a pattern, right? There's yeah, a pattern. Yeah, yeah. We're sat down in this room and we just chat, we just spoke. We got this idea, we got this label we're doing, we need a front man like you. Yeah. So Dynamite was in. So by the time we did the we did the deal, Ronnie's had this idea about putting this band together. For, we're, there's already five of us there. Yeah. So we're not quite sure what we're gonna do, but there's a core idea about doing something different about playing trying to play this music live and you know creating this band yeah and so that was really that was really it really we just kind of came back to where we signed the deal yeah we came back to bristol and we set about creating this this represent it wasn't called represent then okay it's called state of mind right okay so it didn't even have that name then yeah and we just came back and the same thing again we all we just talked and talked and talked Ronnie did the, the, the bulk of the, the project and everyone kind of circled around and went to the studio at different times and contributed to different tracks. Yeah. And it just built over a period of time. And the same thing, Ronnie would go back up and down the motorway, working, like playing the music to, to Jars and, and, and Paul, and they would give him feedback. He'd come back. We'd all sit down, work on certain tunes together. Yeah. And after about eight, nine months, maybe even a year, you know, there was this, there was this album, New Forms. Yeah. And it was, it was an, a, a, an evolution of what we were doing at Full Cycle. Yeah. It was like, it was like the Full Cycle sound, but it was, it moved on again. You know, we bucked up with a girl called, a woman called Onnelly. Yeah, shout outs to Onnelly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she brought her flavor to it. This amazing vocal. soul diva vocal that was just like, you know, as soon as she opened her mouth, it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, yeah, yeah. You know, then we just started rehearsing. We, you know, it, 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 it was that same thing again. We knew we had something. Yeah. We just didn't know what. Yeah. It was, we felt it. We knew we had something. And we then had to figure out how to play it live. Yeah. So that became the next mission. So, it's the same pattern again. You don't know how to do it, but you just know you've got to do it. Yeah. So we set about figuring it out. We bucked up with um, Clive Deemer, who was a Porter's Hedge drummer. We bucked up with um, Cy John, who was a, a well-known bass player from Bristol. And those guys really helped us figure out how to take it live. They'd been doing the live thing. But what we were doing now, we were fusing electronics yeah. with the live thing. It might have been done before, but not the way we were going to do it. Yeah. So we kind of looked at this kind of setup where we were going to trigger samples. We kind of effectively took the studio on the road. We put it on the stage. Put it on the stage, yeah. Yeah. So we, we practiced for months and months and months. And we did uh, one of our first shows we did in, um, oh, what was that club called? Some dark art club in London, man. It was, uh, not, it'll come to me, it'll come to me. But yeah. it was a big sort of club. I can see it now. But it was a, we did our first sort of show there. And yeah, it was like, we couldn't even like look up at the crowd. We were just so nervous. Like, yeah. You know, we were playing, you know, the confident guys who would be DJing in front of thousands of people, but playing this music, it was like, you know, we were so worried. Yeah. You know, it was all right. The show was all right. And um, uh, that was like the first one that we did. And then 
we did uh we got invited to do i think it's either universe or one of those ones that are big it was like a big rave now yeah um i think it's probably about two thousand people in the audience you know we're like again shitting ourselves <laughs> <laughs> you know we were really like scared you know but we pulled it off and and the crowd they could see they, they and i'm not sure if they knew what was going on because it didn't it didn't stand as obviously as polished as it did by the time we did like over you know 300 shows but they stuck with it they could see there was something going on and, and that's what i liked about that era yeah. just to digress but you could do stuff like that and the crowd would be follow you they'd like they wouldn't they wouldn't like need it to be a certain thing but they could understand that you were trying to do something different yeah. and you and they yeah. stood there and they listened to it and you know we got a little clap at the end and we felt we felt like we improved a little bit and we learned a bit more and we thought yeah this, this is actually all right we're kind of getting to grips with it and so it kind of just built from there really yeah and then again no one was doing that yeah goldie had done a, a live show and he put his band together he he was doing a few shows we would we did our shows and we were just we just were relentless again same thing it was like you know just to go back a little bit me and ronnie and and dynamite when we first started to do this whole full cycle thing we were like the we we, we felt like we were these like missionary guys you know we were we were getting sent into these places like we had no business being here. <laughs> like eastern europe places where they're like five people dancing and, and one guy who was a promoter who'd, who'd seen us or who had picked up a cassette in Camden and booked us yeah and, and we'd be going to these places and be like right. but, there, but there'd be like 10 people there yeah. who knew the music and you know we did that for years we yeah. would be the first people to go to these countries in, in Europe playing this music yeah you know we did that for two or three but every, what we noticed is that we go to one place and there'd be like 40, 50 people in like a, like a you know, a, maybe a room a bit bigger than this. Yeah. You know, with a DJ in the corner, a little sh sh sound system. You go back there the next six months later, it'd be in a bigger club. Yeah. Right? A year later, much bigger club. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. what we noticed. We do the circuit, the promoter would be like, oh, yeah, guys, get you back. And, and we'd start to build these relationships with people. Clubs were getting bigger. Audience were getting, knowing the tunes, the tunes were, so we were like going on these circuits and then, you know, we started to hear the other man them on the circuit and then yeah. it was starting to get bigger. And then, you know, you go to Japan, you know, I'd never, you know, I probably left the country once before that I went to the dam, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and then we would go around Europe and that was all right, it's an hour of flight. And I remember once we were like, yeah, you guys have been booked to go to Japan. It was like, what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was like, how long's a flight? <laughs> <laughs> long haul. Long haul. 14 hours. Like, what are you going to do for 14 hours in the air? You couldn't, couldn't fathom it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Then we go there and it was like, it was completely culture shock. Do you know what I mean? It was like, the, you know, I call the, the Asians the most consistent race because they're just black haired, you know, and unique features. Yeah. It was like, you know, we stood out like a sort of, I remember being on a train being the tallest person on the train and these two <laughs> girls are going <laughs> laughing at my foot because yeah. my feet were so big <laughs> and they're like and they're pointing going <laughs> I'm like where I come from we boss up people for that we are that fat we are that man's like calm down man calm down now. you can't go on site right it's like nah Dre that's how we do it in the hard ends you're you not in your ends now Bridger it's like well, you're 14 hours away. <laughs> 14 hours before like, backup. Yeah, 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 true, 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 true. Oh yeah, I'll call it you, I'll call it you. It's like, That's crazy. You learn, they never seen the, uh, the, our type of people before. Yeah. Now, and we were going to places, the only time they seen people like us was on MTV. Right. We didn't understand it to that degree, but we get to find out, it's like, we're, we're breaking this thing to them. Yeah. Do you know, the only other people like us that was going there was a hip hop man from New York. Yeah. Mm. So we were, the, we were some of the first big people to go. Like, you got to imagine, there was, hip hop DJs in England weren't going abroad like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. House people from England weren't necessarily going abroad. Maybe, maybe Sasha was, maybe going to Ibiza yeah. and places like that. 
But when we doing the jungle thing, the jungle man there was going all over Europe, going deep into Eastern Europe, yeah. going, you know, into Turkey, going into, you know, we we got invited to go to China, to Hong Kong. Like, they weren't here. We we the only reason we were going there is because there was expats there who yeah. who, 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 who were bringing the cassettes there. We were telling their promoters, you've got to book these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were going there then, you know what I'm saying? And because of the represent thing, we would be going there, playing the live show to some of these countries. Yeah. And the represent thing opened up a whole nother level. We got invited to certain places that you couldn't go as a DJ. Yeah. You just couldn't go. We, we would do it. I can't even tell you, man. But <laughs> it, was, it was like, it was just mind blowing. Like you couldn't imagine it, but we then we get invited back as a DJ. Yeah. And then we go to Australia, you know, then to tour of America. And it was like, you know, and all of this from these humble beginnings. And so we, we got to experience all of this stuff. We got to see the world through the music. You know, we got to see what's possible, to see what you could actually do with that, with the creativity, with the, with the, with the, with the, the will and desire to create something from the heart because at no point we, we, we did we compromise in our vision yeah. of what it was that we were doing and that was that whole b-boy ethics as well it was like no compromise it yeah, was like yeah. we knew we were we had something and everybody knew what, what it was as well so you go to these places and they respected that sound as well it was like this is the sound of that culture coming from from the UK, coming from the streets of the UK. Yeah. And and fast forward, now everybody's representing in their ends as well. So you've got Brazilian jungle, you've got Eastern European jungle, Russian jungle, yeah. you know, Australian jungle, or whatever people want to call it. But that movement now has become, you know, a global global thing. Yeah. A global yeah. thing. Yeah. I never I never I never forget the um the time I was at Ashton Court Festival. And um, I seen you guys performing the represent, and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, bro, like I'm just looking on the stage. You guys are there, and you're performing live with these samplers, and I'm just like, I just remember being blown away because I'd mm. never seen anything like that. Mm. I was just like, this is different, man. Mm. It, and I, I, I think like probably for like five minutes, I just probably just stared. Like it was just <laughs> like, wow. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't even comprehend really. Like what I was seeing, man, it was it was definitely something different. And then even like, you know, fast forward today, I, I know you, you, you referenced that perhaps there had been other people who did it before you. I've never seen nobody do it before you. And I've seen it with my own eyes. But even today, you know, you've got like um, producers like A-Rab Music, who's a, who's a big hip hop producer, mashes up the MPC. And this is a guy who's, you know, similar to you guys touring the world on his MPC, doing amazing shows. But mm. I definitely think when I saw you guys perform, that for me was just, just a brand new phenomenon. I, I never mm. seen nothing like that before. My, my, um, my cousin back in the day was like into all genres of music. <clears throat> and he lives, he lives in Bradford. And like, I looked up to this guy, like he was, he had every, like the trainers and, you know, he was always stylish and that. But I remember him coming down to, to stay with us, had he seen you guys, and he nearly dropped dead. He's like, "Oh, they, they live around the, the corner from." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, they do." Every every time, like he was begging to come back down to Bristol just so he can get a glimpse of you guys. It was nuts. Like, I was the guy in Bradford. Yeah, I was that guy. They looked up to me. You probably are. Yeah, <laughs> most people look up to you, bro. Come on, let's be honest. All right, so. 1997 Mercury Music Prize. Mm. You guys, of course, won the um, the award for um, for new forms. Mm. Um, how did that feel? Um, just mind blowing, really. I mean, the whole build up to it. You know, I mean, when we got nominated, it was um, you go to uh, you go to like a sort of dinner luncheon thing where they where they announce your nomination. So we 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 were told we were nominated with all these other people, you know. Um, I remember going into the, um, somewhere in London and we, we walk in there and Robbie Williams is walking past. He goes, hello, right? I was like, that's fucking Robbie Williams. <laughs> 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 right to us. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, you know, 
one sort of big people after another, one after another, and we're like, fucking hell, this is, the, this is a big thing, you know, yeah, before yeah. we were quite casual, but it sunk in, you know, we're, we've been nominated for this Mercury Music Prize that, you know, you got to remember, we're, we're, we're not, we're, we're up until then, we're not really phased by it, you know what I mean, we're kind of like a bit blase, you know, too much of whatever, just taking it all in our stride. We're we're really thinking about why well, we got we got to make tunes for the weekend. We, we <laughs> yeah. can't we can't spend time with this Mercury thing. You know what I mean? It's long. It's yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we get there now. It's like oh god, this is like the next level type of thing. This is some you know for us to be even mentioned alongside some of these names. It was like a real the penny sort of dropped for us. We really realized like. The industry's recognizing this form of music. Yeah, you know that's well, that's what we got from it. They they are we're they are recognizing what we've achieved. They're nominating us for this big prestigious award, and we're like rah, you know. So it was a great day. We met met loads of you know big people, you know, and just soaked it up. You know what I mean? And then come the night. We made sure we brought as many as the people as we could. We had our we had our table. Yeah. All of the artists on our label were there. Frost was there. Brian G was there. A couple of our London people was there. And we just went. You know what? Whatever happens, we're just we're just going to be here and celebrate. You know what I mean? We're just going to really enjoy this occasion because it's it's just it's just a blessing for us to even be nominated to even get here yeah. to to. To, to be here, we knew we were going to play as well. So we knew whatever happened, we were going to play and the world on that level was going to hear our music. So, yeah. you know, we're sat there, we're all drinking, we're all just laughing and joking. So they go, oh, here's the nominations now. We didn't think we had a chance. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't, we, you know. Who are you, who are you against? Do you remember? I can't remember now, but it was. It some, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It, it, was some, it was some, it was some, you know, big established names. big names. Okay. So, you know, we're sitting there and they, they call out the things and then the winner is Ronnie Side represents and the table goes vroom and we're like <laughs> And I looked to Ronnie, Ronnie's looking at me, he's like, I haven't got a speech. <laughs> and we're like, is is this this minute of like it seemed like twenty minutes, but it's probably about a minute, everyone's like, Did he just say that? Everyone's looking, clapping and cheering, and we're like, Shit, we've won. And then it starts to sink in, you know what I mean? We're like, damn. And then we go up there and like, Ronnie says whatever, but it's like, I, I mean, I can I can just about remember it, but it's like, we're just in shock. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, we've had this, we've, we've had this build up, you know, and we've been working really hard for about three years, grinding, you know, playing live, really just, you know, getting on the road and, we're doing these shows, we're doing these shows, you know, and, it, and you know, when we won the, the Mercury, it felt like, here you go, guys, here's something for, for all your hard work. Yeah. It really felt like that. It really felt like the industry was saying, we recognize what you guys have been doing. And, it, and we felt that because after that, it, you know, we were going like that. After that, it was like that. It was yeah. like a steep incline. The shows were much better. It was like, it was just incredible. All of a sudden we got budgets. All of a sudden we got what we, you know, it was just amazing. And I remember doing the interview afterwards. I remember the presenter's name, which she was talking to Ronnie and she said, oh, you know, what's it like? Da, da, da. And I was like, looking, I could hear, see these mouths moving. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like, she goes, and Crust, what's it like to win the Mercury Music Prize? And I was like, so Ronnie, <laughs> I just couldn't, I just couldn't grasp what had happened. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it came through afterwards, but it was like, you know, it was just so, it was just like one of those things that you just knew it was a big thing for the scene. It yeah, was a big yeah, yeah. thing for, for the movement. It was like this movement that had started, you know, you know, you probably act skeptical what he, he's feeling. It's probably the same thing. Yeah. You, you come from this, from this movement, this grassroots movement, to be sort of, you know you're nationally recognized, but the Mercury's is this global thing where yeah. all of a sudden you're fast-tracked into, into a certain position. And there's, there's nothing that can prepare you for that. But if you've got your grind and you've got your ethics, then that keeps you in good stead. And I think for us, it was an exciting time. You know, we, we enjoyed going on tour. 
we we toured even more and you know it, it was relentless for for the next sort of four years of touring and doing two more albums and it was an amazing amazing experience and yeah just crazy crazy time like, i could even i could even imagine do you know what i mean i'm i'm here thinking to myself I should have gone into music than basketball. <laughs> yeah. oh. Yo, there's still chance for you, bro. We're doing this thing, man. We might, do you know what I mean? There's, there's still chance for you to be somebody. I got some music ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you can have a chat with Crust after. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So, yeah, 2000, and, so that was that was 97. Yeah. Fast forward now. Um, or in fact, not even that. So ninety nine is when you released your first studio album, yeah. um, which is is coded language, mm. which is obviously only a couple of years after you guys won the, the Mercury um, mm. Music Award. So I don't know if this is a, a silly question, but why did you do a solo project? If were, were you still part of the collective, or um, the idea what we had at the time was, you know, we were doing solo albums. Yeah. So it, it was kind of the Wu Tang idea. Okay. So we were looking, you know. Ray did an album, Ghost did an album, Meth did an album, Yeah, you know, RZA did his project. We kind of mapped out similar, represent, so Ronnie did his album, I did my album, you know, Die was gonna do an album, Dynamite was gonna do an album. Yeah, it, it, The represent thing really took it out of all of us because it was such a, a strenuous couple of years Yeah, and it was relentless, none of us understood work ethics at the time and we were just we just got burnt out right it was it was like one tour after another you know we you know we did this tour in america it was like it was so relentless we drove non-stop for two days from one side of america to the other it was like bands do that all the time yeah you know a, a good friend of mine yuval gabe from a band called soul coffin he was the guy uh, that invited me and Di to America when we did our first American tours, DJing. The same thing, you know, in America, the, the way you break a band in America is you tour. Yeah. So what you do, you, you tour for like two months or three months and you go from state to state to state to state. You start in LA and you work your way up the coast to, to New York and then you go up through Canada and then you drive down the back end from Canada right back down to LA right. and you do the same thing again. Yeah. But same F, same thing, the crowds get bigger, they know you, so you do the whole thing again, you go, and then you drive. We were these, these DJs from Bristol, we didn't understand that. Yeah. You know, we, did, we did two circuits of that. It was heavy, for three months. You know, so you tour for six weeks, you go like, you come home, you do Europe, you go to Asia, and then you come home, sleep, wash your clothes, and you're back on the plane, you go back to America. Like, you've got Crazy, man. three weeks off. In those three weeks, you're doing DJing. Yeah. In those three weeks, you've got to make, on, make some more music. And this is before laptops, you know, I was talking to Ronnie about this the other day. We were trying to make music on the road with these laptops and all this equipment back in the day. It was, you just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's not like now, you can, you know, we're making beats on, you know, I made like an EP the other day on my phone. Wow. You know, it's, that's how ridiculous it is. You know, you make the beats, transfer it to your big computer and it's practically done. So yeah. that's what's going on now. We, we were trying to do that back then. So, you know, you're on the road, you're, you're, you're tired, you're trying to make beats, you're trying to have a relationship, you're trying to have a family life. It's tough, you know. And then boom, you're back on the road again. And so you, we, it, that's the circuit. So you're doing, the, you're doing the, the English circuit, the European circuit, the American circuit and the Asian circuit. And they're back to back. Yeah. That's a year gone. Yeah. You know, and then you next year you're doing the same thing again. So you've got to try and figure out how to make a project in, in the gaps and that. Yeah. So you've got to make a constant decision. You've got to say, okay, we're going to stop DJing. We're going to stop performing. You've got to understand as well, at the time, we couldn't stop the, the, the represent train because you're in demand and, you know, you can't necessarily stop because you're hot yeah so when you're hot you're hot and it takes back then the the idea was you make your it takes you a year sometimes two years sometimes three years to make an album then you go and tour it for a year two years three years sometimes in our case represent was touring for two two and a half years then yeah. you made another one and that was like two and a half years 
now you've got to be you got to make an album in less than six months three months yeah and then you got to go out and you got to tour it and then you got to tour for six to eight months but then you got to make another it's totally different aesthetics and idea behind it but back then you take a long time so if you didn't if you missed on that album you had to wait another two years to make another album so you could potentially be out of the scene for a long time yeah yeah people forget about you yeah so it's not that you couldn't risk it you just wanted to keep the momentum going so between projects we're doing other projects so we did represent we did break the era we did comanche we solved it as project so we're trying to keep the whole thing going full cycle music full cycle compilation it's again it's relentless it's relentless it's relentless so we're just trying to keep the momentum up trying to keep touring so by the time i come to do my own album i have to stop touring i have to sit down and take at least you know three months just to sort of get the touring out of the system yeah because to stop that that lifestyle it's hard work you know you're used to sleep you know we come home from a tour and you, you couldn't sleep in your own bed because you're so used to sleeping in these bunks yeah 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 you couldn't sleep and you and the, the momentum of the bus helps you get asleep so you're being you come home and you lie in bed and you're like <laughs> There's no movement. There's no movement. There's no chatter. There's no one. There's no one making noise. You can't sleep, and you're lying there. You you only got to go to the studio, make some noise, or your phone. Your phone. Yeah, Ron, what's going on? I can't sleep. Oh no, can I? Oh, what are you doing? Oh, let's make some beats. Yeah. Or oh, let's go out. Do you know what I mean? And so you like it's like this whole mad thing, and then that 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 party mode of performing of deep that takes a long time to stop that and then to focus get into studio mode, album mode. So single mode is like making tunes for the weekend is not the same as making an album. It's right. a totally different mind state that we were quite fortunate. We had people like Massive around us and Smith and Mighty, Porter's Head, Tricky, you know, people within arm's reach who we could politic with. Yeah and try and understand the album thing. So we spoke a lot before we, when we were doing the Represent thing, we had a lot of contact with the Massive Boys, with Tricky, uh, Porter's Head. Um, just asking, you know, what do you reckon about this? What equipment, what studios, da da da. And just trying to understand the process. So we understood, we tried to make an album like you make it, like it was a journey. Yeah. So in that process, it's quite, you know, it takes a while to get your head around it. Yeah. And it takes a while to sit down and not make a tune that you're gonna play for the weekend. So you're trying to make something, you're trying to make a piece of music that some, that you could potentially play on a radio, that may be played in a club, that someone can sit down and listen to, and that's gonna be around in 10 years time. So that's a big ask, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But it, it can be done, it can be done, but you need patience. You need time, yeah. you know, and so that in itself requires you to to isolate yourself, and that is you're learning discipline. You're learning different skill sets. You're learning different um, ethics about the process. You know what I'm saying? You gotta you gotta you gotta really sit down and start studying the craft. You gotta start listening to classic. You know, there's a whole thing that you gotta do. Like you know, we're, you know, we're sitting down talking about music and you know you know we used to sit down and look at all of our favorite records and read read who the drummer was you know and research the drummer who, who's the bass player where else has he played what bass guitar has he got what yeah, yeah. what drum kits has guy got you know what i mean what keyboards it so we went out and we bought all the stuff yeah, yeah. So when we were on tour in America or Eastern Europe, we go to all these second-hand shops and we go to promoter, take us to these shops and we go to the second-hand shops, some of these places in New York, some of these places in LA, and we go to these like stores and we'd be in there looking at all these classic keyboards, the Junos, the Moogs, the 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 Korgs and stuff, and and the drum machines, the the, the MPCs and the SPs. And we'd be buying that shit up. Yeah. We look at what you know, what the hip hop, what Wu Tang was, what they making tunes with. What's Pete Rock making his beats with? What's 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 um, 
What's Naz making those beats with? What's Dre making those beats with? And for us, we were hungry. Like, and we would go to these places. I mean, we we go to LA and we stay an extra week. And we go to this place called Black Market, which was like this old secondhand vintage um, music shop. Yeah. And even saying it now, I've got goosebumps, right? Because I could smell it. It's this damp smell, right? Yeah. Because all the old equipment in there. And we used to go, we used to love it. We used to go in there and you go and play these keyboards, you know, making space sounds and look at these old, and, and like, yeah. This, yeah, we're gonna use this on the next project. Yeah, you can, yeah, Crust, can you finish your album with that synth? Yeah, 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 let's buy that synth. You know, let's get those speakers. You know, and we'd be in there for hours, yeah. hours, you know, playing these things, going through, right, where's the next? And that's what we did that for months on the tour. We buy it all and we bring it, ship it back, and then we put it in a room, and you know, we're like learning to use these old synths, you know what I'm saying? Because for us, we were trying to recreate a sound from an era that was a classic era, the 70s, the 60s, a classic era. You know, we were like, who's, who's Clive Stubberfield? Like the guy who played Funky Drummer. Who is Bernard Purdy? Who's, this, who's, who's the Winstons, the, people, the guys who made uh, Breakbeat, um, who made um, Amen Brothers? Yeah. Like, who are these people? Who's Fred Wesley? You know, why is James Brown the, 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 this, con, this, this conductor? You know what I mean? Why, who's Quincy Jones? What's, 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 you know, who, who, who produced that track on Marvin Gaye's, like we were fiends, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? And so for us, we were like, we, that, when we approached the project, we went in like that. We were like, we need to know. And when we bucked up with people like Clive Deemer, who was Porter's Ez drummer, he schooled us on breaks. He told us like, he showed us, this is how you do this, this is how you do this. We're like, Oh yeah, right. And then Yuval from from a soul coffin, a friend from New York. He was like an Israeli guy, grew up in New York on hip hop. He used to play for a lot of the early hip hop guys. Okay. He came over. He schooled us as well. He used to send us dats from New York with breaks on it, and we used to sit down in in the back room on his house and sample these breaks for days. And then you know we were like learning how to chop up breaks and make new breaks with it. And so for us it was the we were learning a science of the of beat making. Yeah. Like how do we make a beat that sounds fresh and dope that no one else is doing? How do we then take that idea and make an album with it? Yeah. You know, and then how do we get a singer on top of that? Then how do we transfer that live? And so it was this whole process of breaking it down, finding the the records and listening to them, studying them, finding the people. What are they? What, you know, we were so deep. We found out like the like the musical compote the, the the musical equipment they use to make. The, the sounds. I mean, if we could afford to recreate the studios, we would have done that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's how deep we were going, but we couldn't. So we just found the mics. We found the, the desks that they were using. We found the compressors and the EQs. And we, 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 you know, we, we got that and yeah. we brought that back to Bristol. Do you know what I'm saying? So if you would have saw our studios back in them days, they were just ridiculous. All analog equipment, 20 keyboards, <laughs> all these massive speakers. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but we knew we were trying to recreate a sound in jungle that those guys were doing in funk. You know what I'm saying? So we managed to do that. I think what we created with the full cycle sound, and even now we've, we've, we've got our own sound, is that we wanted to create something that was very original and unique and identifiable yeah and to do that you really had to study the art of the of making music yeah it's 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 interesting because like now because of how technology is all of that digging all of all of those classic pieces of equipment that you guys would really you know hunt for now technology is has duplicated that right and and imitated it i guess to yeah, a degree yeah, yeah. because yeah. um you know i guess there's nothing you, you there's nothing that's going to give you the same swing you would expect as certain types of samplers or certain types of breaks. But these days, like you said, you can make beats on your phone. It's all kind of in your pocket. So I think I think what the difference is now, I mean, you're, you're totally right. It's exactly what it is. And I think what we're trying to do now is you're trying to, you know, again, you're trying to have the unfair advantage by using your history. Yeah. You know, you're trying to bring a certain type of energy, a certain type of experience to the game now so you'll use a couple of the tricks you know samplers are big now people yeah. have gone back to the analog sound a lot of the lot of the software that your people are buying 
it's emulating analog stuff now. Yeah. And they've got all the old analog quantizers, all the old analog filters on, you know, to make it sound like it's analog now. Yeah. So everybody now realizes that it's the best of both worlds. So now you've got something like machine, which is like a, a, a like an MPC, but it, it triggers sounds from your computer and it takes you away from staring at the, staring at the computer. It's got the aesthetics of the MPCs, yeah. but it's the computers, the engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you've got other people out there who are starting to understand that artists don't want to sit down with, with the mouse because it's unnatural. Yeah. You know, and looking at a screen of a mouse. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not, it, it's a form of making music, but it's not as exciting as hitting drum pads yeah. or hitting a keyboard. Yeah. That, and the biggest thing that you get from doing that and what we got from doing that is the mistakes. Right. Because the mistakes become some of our biggest tunes. It's more authentic, right? It's yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. So you'd be hitting a keyboard and all of a sudden you press a wrong note. And, it, and you had the record going yeah. and, it, and it would be, oh, stop, 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 what's that? I don't know, keep it, keep it. And, and that became the tune. I remember one of Ron's biggest tunes, he turned the sampler on and he turned the sequencer on and the bass line, the, the drums was playing the bass line. And that became a big tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was an accident. And things like that was happening all the time where you would just, you couldn't, you couldn't, you, it's like you couldn't plan it. But you can't, sometimes you can't do that with the digital domain because it's too perfect. Mm. It, it relies on the chick, 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 chick. Yeah. So now with the software, you can do, if you're doing, a, uh, sorry, with the hardware connected to the software, you're doing the same thing again. Yeah. You're pressing the wrong buttons. And it's almost like that whole thing again. So I used machine, but I used the machine like I used to use the MPC. So yeah. I just program on it and I use my software like, I, like it was tape. So I don't try and make a tune. I'm just trying to make beats. And I'm just messing around with the same thing. Loop, loop, make a loop, make a loop, make a loop. Oh, that sounds wrong. Great. Let's keep it. Yeah. So that for me, that's that same kind of messing around idea that potentially could come, become something. And that's because now it's much easier to to create with these um, pieces of hardware that are emulating the old school yeah, pieces yeah, of yeah. hardware. Okay. Okay. I mean, I got my my son. He's he's um, confiscated my iPad from me, <laughs> and um, I've got this um, a beat app on there, and he he loves he loves music, but he loves old. He don't like the new stuff now. He oh, likes wow. the old music, but he loves dancing. He likes break dancing. I have yeah. to show you a video, <laughs> and um, he kind of makes his own beats on this thing, and then he plays them, and I'd be like. What's he playing on YouTube now? <laughs> and you go in the room, and it's what he's made wow. on the on the iPad. Yeah. And like, I'm just like, oh my days! I got that app for myself, and I can't even make <laughs> <laughs> one beat on there. It's just nuts. And then he'll get his sister in with her little keyboard and just play some old kind of music. That, and he'll just be like, pop into the, these beats <laughs> that are just out of beat, and I'm just like. Going back downstairs. Now are you definitely <laughs> going back downstairs? You got to encourage yeah, that. Man. You got to encourage that. Encourage sure. that, man. Yeah. I got. I got. It's funny. Like I got the um, a few like about a year ago. I got the MPC app on iPad. I got it on my iPhone as well. Um, I played with it a couple of times, but um, yeah, it's 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 nice. I don't know, but there is something about hitting the pad. Yeah. There's something about. Not the mechanical, the swings, just the, mm. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but there's just something about the swing, the natural swing. Yeah, it feels, to... it feels different when you're doing the pads. Yeah. You know, it's just some, something going on in your brain that says this is fun, this is different. And it, it doesn't rely on you watching numbers on a screen. It's more of a feeling that you get inside that's more freeing. Yeah. And something about that thing that you know, do you know what I mean? I mean, what I like to do is just play the same thing for about an hour and record them all. And it's, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't, I try not, I don't think actually, I, I know I'm not thinking. And then I listen back to them and I'm like, okay, that one, that one, that one. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's just, you know, I think one of the things that, and a few artists I've spoken to about it agree that 
we got so used to making music look good on the screen that we forgot to, we forgot to, to listen. Yeah. And I think that's what the beauty of these things do. They get you back to listening and you're listening and feeling good about pressing the buttons. Yeah. Okay. So so what's what's going on with Crust today? Like what's what's the future for Crust? What what are you working on at the moment? Oh, well so um this year we did full cycle again. Yeah. So it was on the road with Ronnie. Um, we released some new music, and you know that was fun. Really going back out there and playing and touring, um, and just remembering that you know what it's like to be on the road. Um, and and prior to that, I, I set up a a, 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 a a sort of my own boutique brand called Rebel Instinct. Okay. And so that. Initially, the idea was was about making records and putting them out, but I, I quickly became bored of that because I, I kind of did that already, and I thought, well, there's nothing new in that. What do I want? What does Rebel Instinct need to be for for me to be excited about it? So, I kind of just took a step back and said, right, this is just going to be an avenue for me to do whatever I want. It could be film, it could be music, it could be an exhibition, and so that's what we kind of allowed Rebel Instinct to be was just this fun thing that has music on it, that has clothes on it. We've, so we did events this year. We did uh, uh, something with the Watershed. We did a refresh for revival. So, you know, G was instrumental in that as well, putting that event on, meeting and greeting. Then we got asked to do Encounters Film Festival. So that's this weekend. So okay. same thing, really. We, uh, we curated some videos. We got people together and we've got a party afterwards as well. So next year, Rebel Instinct, I'm doing and some more definitely some more music we've got um, some some film ideas we're developing we've got we've got some merchandise partnerships that that we're working with so we're looking to work with people we're looking <laughs> we're looking to work with people and build joint ventures so we're very much around you know looking at who out there is doing exciting things and partnering with them so this whole thing with encounters is like a partnership yeah we are capable of bringing something to the table and we worked with established organizations and we bring things and meeting in the middle so we've done that with a trainer company we're doing that with a watch company for next year we've got a line of merchandise wow, okay. next year as well so we've got some some big events coming next year and then i'm working on a new album some more music um some different stuff as well some 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 exciting stuff um, just finished building the studio, so it's it's more of the same really. But you know, we've kind of ste picked up, stepped up the game a bit, looking at how you know to work with, you know, with partners who are who are bigger than us, who we can learn from as well. Okay. So it's the same game, right? It's the same game as Wild Star. It's the same thing. We're in the room again we're taking that whole idea and we want to learn now but we want to learn so we want to learn more about the business we want to learn more about the the economics of taking a thing to the next thing we want to claim our piece of land in this in this game so we're looking to build so rebel instinct is looking to build some property you know some some real estate on the internet that says okay this is what we're about, you know, and I'm doing education programs as well. So I'm doing a workshop this week for the film festival with a couple of people around creativity. So it's about really spreading that idea, taking it to the next level and, and really just seeing where it's going next year as well. So we've got some big plans. We want to work with some interesting organizations. We want to do some interesting, fun things. There's definitely lots and lots and lots of music coming and some interesting tech coming as well so i spent Wicked. a lot of this year meeting some of the tech community in bristol which i never knew about we got some of the biggest companies app companies in the world in bristol wow okay yeah i never even knew that so i've met a good friend of mine and he's he's kind of schooling me on that side of it so i'm get, i want to i want to learn more about business like the next level of of startups the next level of how you build how you uh, grow a business. So we've been, I've been building businesses um, for the last sort of three to four years now. So I've got a, one of my companies called Ammo Life. I do that with my partner, and that's a CBD oil company. 
and that is uh, CBD is like a derivative from hemp and yeah. cannabis, but it's used for medical purposes. So it's helping relieve people from, you know, anywhere from like epilepsy to reducing um, uh, sort of tumors, uh, wow. abnormal growths. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Do a bit of research on it. But it, there was a girl who was um, a three-year-old girl who really kind of helped the thing really go big. She was having 300 seizures a week. She took, um, the doctor said to her, you know, told, told her parents if she has another episode, take her home and don't wake her up. That right. was the best advice the doctors gave her. She, she, th their parents said, no, we're not doing that. They found this guy. He said, look, you've tried everything the medical industry has got. Now try this. And it was CBD. She went from 300 seizures a week to one a month in wow. her sleep. And me and my partner, we saw that. We were like, we need to get in on this. We just, this is going to, you know, but the reason why we took it, so, up, so I started a company called Disruptive Patterns about seven years ago to teach people about what we've been talking about, about the business, about how I got into it, how creativity works, how to build projects, blah, blah, blah. Part of that was to do with health as well. Yeah. Because there's no one around, these, a lot of these young people, sh teaching them about the health aspect of it as well. How do you avoid getting burnt out? How, yeah. how do you know, you know what to do here? What, what's your diet? And so... I really looked at you know lifestyle as well. So Amalife was about lifestyle. So part of the thing that everybody in the music business doesn't know how to deal with is stress. We're always under pressure. We're always meeting deadlines. We're always trying to get to gigs on time. We've always got you know the clock's always ticking. Yeah. So CBD is relaxing. It helps you relax. It helps you stay calm. It helps you think differently. It helps you understand the reality around you in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. And so when, you, when you're more calm and more relaxed, you've got more opportunities around you. You can see more opportunities. You can take more opportunities. And so that was a, that was a direct thing to do to help myself be more productive. Yeah. And so when I saw how that could be used as a preventative, it was, it was, it was a no-brainer. It was like, we have, to, we have to start getting into this. This is great. So we started that business nearly two and a half years ago, and now that's really starting to fly now. So okay. people want to find more about that. That's amolife.co.uk, and that's CBD oil. And you can see the testimonials on there. We've got three or four different brands. And that's going out through the industry now, and people are really kind of using that as an alternative to help them relax and, and stay calm and it's really having an effect. So I, I applied all the stuff that I knew about business and what I was learning to that company and it saw what it can do. So I bucked up with a good friend of mine who's now one of one of the biggest sort of, his company's growing very, very rapidly. He's one in, in the tech industry. His company was the, one of the first people to do digital media whole thing. And so, you know, he's kind of schooling me on what to do next. And so I'm like going to school again. I'm in university again. I'm like, I want to learn about this. And so for me, that's what it's about. Take that knowledge, build a, build a, build a business. Most people, like you said, they got the idea, but they don't know how to apply the business side of it. Yeah. So that's what I'm passionate about. I can show you how to take that idea, how to turn it around, how to get your first 500 pounds, how to get your first grand. Now I'm learning how to, to, how to flip that into bigger sums, how to start employing people, what to look for. The, so it's really about learning and how to grow businesses. So we've done that now. We know how to start them. Now we need to learn how to grow them. So this is about, again, getting the economic foothold because you know we're not getting any younger and we've all got kids. The best gift we can give our children now is teaching them how to be entrepreneurs because they're natural. You know, when we was like when we were kids, we were natural hustlers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the only reason we didn't become the next superstar entrepreneurs is because our parents didn't get the training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our parents didn't have money education; they didn't have that. Definitely. You know, so that's what that's what we're learning. We're learning about the the wealth education. You know, and the difference between money and wealth. Yeah. And there's a big difference because wealth is what you have left when the money's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So this is what we're dealing with. This is what we need to learn, the difference between the, what, what the hustle is for. If you're going to go out and hustle or be in the grind, 
then make sure you're doing it and you're building a legacy that your family can take on when you want to move on to the next thing. Do you know? Do you know? So my, my oldest son, he's um he's thirteen now, and um I said to him like, we, like I'm funny because I I I'm kind of anti-school, kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like. It's like, I, I rarely say in front of him, but like, if something's happened, like if the teachers call us, I'll say to my wife, them people are just full of shit. That, that's me, right? But I won't say that in front of my son because I don't want him to, mm. to have that. I want him to listen. You listen to your teachers, you do what you're told, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So anyway, I was having a conversation with him the other day and um, his school results have improved. And I said, listen to me, son, because of the things that your granddad and what I'm doing now, I said, this is, the f- this is what I want you to do. I want you to read, learn how to read, I want you to learn how to write basic arithmetic and learn how to talk to people. Mm. Okay. And where I am in my personal journey is my goal is to get my children to a place where when they get to my age group, these legacy businesses are going to be passed mm. down. And that's mm. how, that's my philosophy. Mm. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Mm. So I'm, I'm trying to raise my own children that they're not going to be working for people. No, not, not that it's wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's wrong. Um, and I'm still in a position where, you know, I haven't kind of made that that break completely yet, mm. but I'm definitely trying to raise my children with that kind of philosophy that, listen, mm. boom, as long as you learn these fundamentals, because a lot of the stuff I learned at school or, or didn't pay attention to, <laughs> I don't think I've missed out, to be honest with no. you. Do you know what I'm saying? No. Where we are today, the school are still teaching a hundred year old paradigm. Yeah. The world is changing so fast you can't even go to university and study and think that what you've just learned over the last two to three years is going to be relevant when you come out. Yeah. Business is changing so fast. So the best thing we could teach people to be is an entrepreneur, someone who is curious, someone who is creative, and someone who has got imagination. You know, the so-called greatest scientist of the 20th century, Einstein, I say so-called because when he was asked, what's it like to be the smartest guy in the room, he said, I don't know, go and ask Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> right? So he even, he even admitted that he wasn't the smartest guy in the room, but we'll use, this, use him as a reference right now. He says, imagination is more important than knowledge because imagination will take you to um, unimaginable places. Yeah. And that's what we want. We want people to think outside of the box. We want people to think unlimited thoughts. And we do that by showing them that there are no limits and that anything is possible. And I think... One of the things that we're all good at, everybody is good at, you know, we're natural born hustlers. And we just need to understand what the next bit of that is. How do you capitalize on that? Because one of the things that I've seen in my 20, 25 years in the business, 30 years in the business, is that the people that start these scenes don't capitalize on them. Yeah. And that is a shame because they're good at hustling, but they don't understand the business. And that, for me, is what we need to start understanding now. Because you, you go through 10, 15 years of doing the, the groundwork. Now we need to understand that we need to be the ones to profit from them so that the next generation, they don't have to go through. And if you can see, look at businesses out there where you see wealthy people, they hand that business down. Those, those young people are around wealth. Yeah. They understand it's standard. They don't have to go here. They understand it's standard. Mm. So that has to be something that needs to be inserted in our youngers. So they come through, and it's not a big thing to earn a million pounds. That's just that's just the result of you of your great business. Yeah, you know what I'm saying it's just the result. It's not a big thing. Money's not money. Money shouldn't be the thing that we're doing it for. Money is the economic tool, but and that gives us opportunities. So what we're looking for is more opportunities because what we want to do is put ourselves in the best possible position to take advantage of our opportunities. Because if you see a lot of the wealthy people coming through, the wealth gives them opportunity. Yeah. It puts them in the room yeah. so they can hustle. You know what I'm saying? And that's what those elite schools are about. Do you see them people all in power now? They were all in school together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same way we all was in school and we were all hustling together, it's the same thing going over there. Yeah. But they got the economic understanding behind it. So when they're building, they're building for a reason. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I need permission to put up this skyscraper. Let me ring Barnet, who I used to go to school with. Barnet, what are you saying, man? You ain't getting no skyscraper. <laughs> Hater. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, nah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you yeah. 100%, man. Yeah. All right, wicked. So... All right, so I, I mean, 
boy, there's so much information, so much knowledge, mm. so much gems. Um, where can people um, connect with you and, and what you're doing at the moment? Um, they can get me. They can they can um, get me on Twitter, DJ Crust, and on the same with uh, Facebook, DJ Crust. If people want to come and be a part of what we're doing, they can contact me on Coded. That's K-O-D-E-D, Crust, K-R-U-S-T, at gmail.com. I am open to meeting and greeting. Um, you know, I want to I wanna help and I want to spread my knowledge. And I also, I'm interested in what people are doing out there and where we can link, you know, and, and if organizations, you know, want to know what we know. Because that's one of the big things now. A lot of organizations are now understanding that the entertainment creativity way of thinking is is um, is very unique and very different from the way that they have accomplished their things as well. So we live now in a multimedia world. The entertainment industry understands that. So yeah. you've got ordinary businesses out there who are now having to make videos, who are now having to do podcasts, who are now having to you know get creative and use their imagination. It's like Come and knock on my door. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we've been doing this for years. We know how to do that. We know how to market stuff. We know how to get in the nooks and crannies. We know how to put on events and get noticed. You know what I mean? We know how to hustle. We know how to take ideas from a low place and make them into a world-beating product. We know how to do that. So we're now, we want to share that with organizations around. And we're being fortunate that we've linked up with a few like-minded people who, um, who are sharing that vision as well. And, and another thing, one of the good things, many good things about Jungle, but one of the good things about Jungle, when we used to go out raving back in the day, we used to have rave with a lot of people. Some of those guys now are big people in business. Right. So they are now given uh, younger opportunities. And so one of the things I would say to, to, um, to people out there who think there's not many opportunities, you'll be surprised who's running these companies now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, those same people uh, used to be ravers, a lot of them. And yeah. I'm meeting a few people. The first thing they say to me is, oh my God, Cross, warhead. <laughs> and this big true. Yeah, big listen, tune. I met a guy at a rave the other week, you know, I was DJing, and this guy works at IBM. Yeah, yeah, And he's yeah. on about, yeah, I'm a big fan. I said, what are you guys working on over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so now we're linking. So, you'd be surprised what's going on and opportunities that's afforded to us. So people out there, if you're listening, don't be afraid to, to reach out to people who've got with your ideas and you never know who's listening, who can, you know, especially with the media now, lots of people are, are tuning in and, are, and are, are open and also need other people in their organisations who don't think like them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's very, very important. Nah, wicked. Look, shout out to Warhead, innit? Um, check this out as well. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that tune. <laughs> thank you. But, um, but nah, so I, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a real, real honour, man. And do you know what? I just, I feel really blessed. And I got to kind of say, you know, um, we're fortunate that we, we linked with Gary. But, um, you know, you definitely, even, even when I hollered at Gary to holler at you, it was no, you know, I would say you're definitely someone who is, approachable do you know mm. what i mean like mm. you said people can email you directly yeah. and and definitely for any of the listeners i definitely say from my experience um you know when when the text came back and it was like yeah man you'll talk to you i was like what do you know what i mean that was yeah. so so thank you yeah. because you know i i grew up um jungle was 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 kind of the first dance jungle music book, yeah. jungle book times yeah jungle book times yeah you know i come from the tradition of like um you know each one teach one you know, I, I was brought in by Smith and Mighty and by Wild Bunch Massive, and I was that kid in the corner. You know, it's only right that I do the same. Yeah, it's yeah. not right to keep it to yourself. Do you know what I mean? So, to, in the tradition of what this, the Bristol spirit is about, you know, and, and the music community and the creative community, I'm, I'm an open book. You know, I was walking down the street just now and some guy comes up to me, he's like, oh, I hope I don't mind, hope you don't mind, Crust, but can you, you know, da, 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 da. I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. He goes, this is Bristol, man. It's like, this is what Bristol's about. You can bump into anybody on the street. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be able to just be, it's got to be normal. It's got to be normal. Got to be normal. All right, well, look, listen, man, definitely a big one for me. Thank you so much for joining us. Barnett, what you, what you saying, bro? The thing, I said, I, you know, with everything that you just said, like, it's just um, took me back a lot and thinking how iconic and legendary that you, you guys are. Um, 
I know I'll probably get a bit emotional. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I said this before, Bristol has like so much to offer and obviously you guys um as well as supporters here, tricky not have put Bristol on the map and we just wanna thank you for that. Oh man. Oh, man respect. Br- Bristol is has given me <laughs> Bristol's given me so much, man. I mean Listen, I've traveled all around the world. There is nowhere like Bristol, you know, and wherever you go and you tell people you're from Bristol, you're like, oh my God, what's it like there? And, you know, they think that the gold comes out of the taps or something. But it's true, I mean, you know. The talent does. The talent comes out of the taps, definitely. It's it's an amazing place to to, to grow up in, you know, and you don't realize it. I know, you know, until you go and come back, you know, I've, I've I've been fortunate to be able to travel. But when I do come back, you know, I, I we we were on tour um, the other week, me, Ronnie, and Dynamite, we were all in Europe and doing all these festivals. And then I had, I had to do a mad one to to get back to do the Massive Attack gig. And oh, at the Downs. At the Downs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to change all these flights. And listen, I was didn't sleep, and I got <laughs> I came back, and I got back to Bristol. I had to catch a train. Da da da. Taxi. And I got back. I got home. I changed. I got in a car and I got straight to the Downs. Right. And I played that set, and it was one of the best sets I played this year. But it was my homecoming gig, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it felt so good. And the crowd was cheer, and I thought, you know what? This is Bristol, man. This is what yeah. it's like. And it, you know, it reminded me of the Ashton Court gig, yeah. where you know, where it was just this field, and it could have been at Ashton Court. It was just this field, and it was a sea of people, and that just felt, you know what? Everyone welcomed me, and I just felt so humbled and grateful. And you know, like I said, I've been fortunate to have a, a really good summer, and to top it off with that gig, man, it was just, you know, that's Bristol. That's what Bristol's like. So I'm grateful for you guys. Grateful for you guys to recognise me and ask me to do this. You know, what I'm saying thank you for allowing me to be a part of this series, man. It's a great thing to be a part of. Salute, man. Salute. All right, guys. Well, look, I want to thank you guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ross Barnett Show. Um, anybody who wants to um, send us an email and give us some feedback. Um, I, I know what they're going to say already, Barnett. They're going to say, nah, another crazy episode, isn't it? Yeah, like, of course. It's, it's um, <laughs> boy, classic, isn't it? Nobody else ain't doing this. Nobody else ain't doing this. So that, that's, that's what I'll tell you for our community, for Bristol nobody else that i know of is recognizing our pioneers like how we are and it's not even about that but we just want to definitely um show and pay homage to the people who kind of put put this scene um down before us so yeah man um i think it's been a wicked show i just want to wish everybody a really good week um the ross barnett show at gmail.com don't forget to hit us up um you can subscribe to the show on the ipodcast at barnett that's right, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Or on SoundCloud as well. SoundCloud as well. The Russ Barnett Show. Yep. Um, so yeah, thank you all to the loyal fans. Wicked. Big up to Crust. Big up to Gary. Barnett, sign us out, bro. Guys, if you're a football fan and your team's not doing well, just remember, just enjoy the game. <laughs> 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 <laughs>